ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Welcome to the Only One Mike Podcast. Call Javad, Brooklyn Dre, just me. How y'all doing? What's up? All right. So um, we're going to discuss our thoughts on the uh, Super Bowl. I know it passed and everything and um, the whole hiring practices of African-American coaches, as well as Black History versus Black Futures Month. And why in the world are we still singing the national anthem, Black folks, at these uh, sporting events? All right, so let's jump right into it. Um, I started off by saying, which, uh, what did you think about the uh, the halftime show? Some people putting it down as like one of the best halftime shows ever. I see you shaking totally your head. Just It seemed like just a regular show to me. I don't want to mark it as like one of the best ones that was ever, <laughs> ever done. It was good because, uh, because of the fact that, you know, we was up there with hip hop or whatever. Dr. Dre, he did a pretty decent job putting a little cat, line lineup together, and it was dope. Him and Snoop going back and forth. Don't get me wrong, and it was dope seeing Mary up there do her thing, and she only had two minutes. Fifty Cent was a great addition. Y'all know how I feel about Eminem. Don't judge me. I don't care. I'm not a fan. And people just started hyping it up because he took a knee. I mean, it is what it is. I was I thought it was a good, a decent show for the halftime, but for for people to say that it was the best, no, I, I disagree with that. I saw some of the best shows ever. Let me tell you something. That Bruno Mars joint was up there. And I ain't I ain't gonna hold you. Michael Jackson's halftime show set the bar for a lot of people. Beyonce did a joint that really set the halftime show off. So there were other good shows that you know, that's just my opinion. I'm not saying it wasn't good. It just wasn't like the best ever. I mean, I, I mean, we try try to stay from secular music now, but I happen to be watching the game, so I watched the halftime show. I thought it, I thought it was a decent half halftime show. Um, I think it's just like anything else. It's like the first time we get the opportunity to see like music that we we normally listen to. Um, that's the, probably the only reason why it was probably really celebrated. But it kind of it was kind of weird watching the reactions um, from other people, like you know, people that actually videotaped it and stuff like that while they were in the uh, in the arena. Because you could see like there's a lot of Caucasian people in there were like really out of touch <laughs> with the music. Because you you got to understand when it comes to like um, the Super Bowl, it ain't like that crowd is different now. You know what I mean? It's not like really like fans of Super Bowl. So like a lot of people who can just afford the ticket, you know what I mean? So it's like a, a like a sedity crowd and I mean, it's kind of weird. I, I feel what you're saying in regards to that, but let me just interject right there. That's one of the biggest misconceptions I had for a very long time up until uh, Straight out of Compton came out and I went to the movie theater in the daytime. I caught myself going to see it. And, you know, I was taken back because it was nothing but white people in the movie theater. And I happened to go up to this man because I thought I was in the wrong joint. It says straight out of Compton outside of the door. But I went up to this man and I was like, what movie is this? And he was like, straight out of Compton. Like, you ain't know. So, I mean, I sat in the movie theater with a predominantly white crowd. There are a lot of white people that are engaged with our culture, but no, I get what no. I'm saying as far as the ticket, people can go because 
they probably got really like Matt Damon and all of them was there. And I looked around the crowd at who was there. I mean, it was some people that would know. Like I think LeBron was out there and Jay Z was out there. Of course. No, I'm saying I'm saying that in regards to like when I watched the the game, like you know, you saw the stars and the celebrities celeb- celebrating that whole you know the music and everything like that. But when it came to like some of the fans, I'm sitting there looking at the fans and I'm like, they seem like they're out of touch because I think that that music that they're playing, NWA is a, it's kind of like white people have adopted NWA. You know what I mean? They adopted, so pub- they adopted public enemy and you know what I mean? But in regards to like some of the music that they were playing as far as like Mary and Snoop and stuff like that, I think they were playing they stuff Snoop. that. No, I'm saying they love Snoop, but I'm saying they love Snoop for um particular songs. You know what I mean? I think the songs they were playing, like Dre Day and stuff like that, that's something more like like our type of hip-hop music. You know what I mean? I feel you on that, but the Mary Joints, definitely, they love No More Drama. And, oh, yeah, they, and love, they love No More Drama. Yeah. That's where I was like, please don't sing No More Drama. But I understood the reason why she sang it, and she explained that's her, later. That's a popular song. Nah, she said the reason why she did it is because she was trying to f- find a song that was fitting for our times right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? And what she went through, what, what a lot of people are going through in life, which is drama, unnecessary drama. So she felt like that was a good upbeat song to sing that everybody could relate to. And I kind of got that. I would have liked to see I, more of her. With the um the Eminem kneeling thing, I mean, I guess that was good that he kneeled and stuff like that. Uh, well, first, going back to, to kneeling, um, I never really liked the whole kneeling process when Kaepernick. I'm I'm a Malcolm X fan. I don't believe in kneeling and marching and sitting in and all that other stuff like that. It's kind of kind of weird to me, you know what I mean? Because because I think Malcolm used always said like it's like really not something cool for men to do, you know what I mean, or a, a race of people to do. So I mean, I know it served its purpose in a lot of cases, but I'm not a big fan of it. But um, I would say with the kneeling, I mean, it was. It was good for him to do it. I just was kind of weirded out by the fact that um a lot of like he's standing next to all of these powerful African American people and they're not doing anything. That's the thing that kind of took me back to was like he, I think they all should have knew. They all should have yeah, and it's like he did it and it was said that it was actually rehearsed. Like that was something that he was gonna do anyway. Yeah, he told him he, he told the NFL he was gonna do it. Yeah. But I mean if he if, wouldn't do it, he wouldn't do the show if it if if he didn't do it or something like that. Why wasn't everybody on cold with that though? Same reason why everybody ain't know when Kaepernick know. It's kind of weird, but you know, even with that whole thing, man, I think like looking at the NFL now and uh, I think they kind of, I might, I might be uh, going against the grain here when I say this, but I think that whole process of them trying to do this halftime show, it kind of sold out. How do y'all how do y'all feel about that? I was that? gonna say elaborate on that. You said it sold out. Well, when I say it sold out, man, it's as I'm looking at this stuff with the NFL and right now with Coach Brian Flores about how he's trying to get a job and how uh Well he got one now. Well he got one now, but yeah. he got one by he's he's not a head coach. No, no. He's like a uh assistant, assistant coach or something defensive like coach. Defensive coordinator yeah. or something yeah. like that. They gave him hush money. It wasn't hush money because he still got it he still got a case against the NFL. So he didn't drop the case. He still got it going. He's suing the NFL because he's saying that anytime he goes to interview for these jobs, he feels like, you know, he has no chance of getting a job. And uh he interviewed for two jobs. One of the jobs was with the Denver Broncos and he claimed he says allegedly he believed that when he interviewed with the Denver Broncos, he said that um 
he believed that the people that he met with was drunk wow. at the time of the interview. Wow. You know, he said, so they didn't take him seriously. He believed that. And then he also talked about how on the interview with the Giants, um, just before he went to the interview, because he was friends with Bill Belichick, and I believe it's Brian Dable, who's now the Giants head coach. They're both friends of Bill Belichick. And what happens is um, three days before he was supposed to take the interview, he got a text uh, from Bill Belichick saying uh, congratulations on the on, on getting the job. But Bill Belichick, I guess, had Brian Dable and Brian Flores in his phone as Brian, and he texted the wrong Brian. Mm. So which, even which with... Which worked out beautifully. Yeah, well, it's sad because... I don't think Bill Belichick had anything to do with it. He's just actually just, you know, telling one of his, you know, one of his people, you know, hey, good, you got the job. But at the end of the day, he texted him three days before he even went to the interview. So he went to the interview knowing that the interview was somewhat of a sham. And he went through the whole interview process. And uh, at the end of the day, just like Bill Belichick said, they gave Brian Dable the job. So according to... um Brian Flores, what he's saying is the Rooney rule is a joke. And the Rooney rule was basically um, put together back in the 80s, I believe it was, because they were saying that I think there were like only two black head coaches at the time. And they were making it where it would be fair for the black coaches to get an opportunity and so uh, to interview for the job. So I think the rule is basically that you have to interview at least two minorities uh, prior to making a decision on your head coach. And uh Brian Flores was saying that even at that time when they um, interviewed, well, it, when they put that Rooney rule in place, there were only two black coaches. And I think right now it might be only three black coaches in the league right now. So, Well, it's only one know, so, head black coach, right? That's a good no, thing. Well, I think it's three minorities. I think it's, uh, I think it's Mike Tomlin. I want to say Lovey Smith might have just got a job. And uh, I think the Saints is actually thinking about making their uh, black co- their their black defensive coach. I think they're thinking about promoting them to head coach. And uh, I think Ron Rivera, I believe he still has a job in the NFL. He's not black, but he's a uh, he's a minority. We have um, a clip of of Brian Flores. He was on um, CBS uh, Mornings today, as a matter of fact, he was talking about why he was bringing this thing to the forefront. There's a problem from a, from a hiring standpoint in regards to minority coaches in the National Football League. The numbers speak for themselves. Right. Uh, we filed the lawsuit um, so that we could create some change. In his lawsuit, Florge alleged he was interviewed for coaching vacancies solely to satisfy the NFL's so-called Rooney Rule, which requires teams to interview multiple minority candidates when filling high-level jobs like head coach or general manager. So the Rooney, the Rooney Rule is basically affirmative action. That's but what it though, sounds like. I, yeah, I mean, you know, the funny thing about that, I never even believe it. I mean, I think, you know, you want to think that when they put these uh, laws in place that, you know, it's going to change something. But even in affirmative action, when you notice when you walk in most of these offices, the only thing affirmative action did, from, I believe, is made more black supervisors and managers. And, you know, if that manages, I mean, how many times do you walk in the office and see, you know, see more, most of the people that are managers are, are Caucasian? You know what I mean? Or some other ethnic group ain't us. You know what I mean? We might have a few sprinkles in there. But when it comes, even when it comes to like the CEOs and the VPs and all that other stuff like that, it's usually not us. So, you know, when black people get together and they start talking that stuff about let's go and uh, get together and talk to people and sign bills and, 
you know, sign these laws in place. These laws never do anything. It does. It never does anything. And uh, even with the NFL, that whole that's what I'm saying with that whole uh, halftime show, it's like smoke and mirrors. You know what I mean? Because it portrays like this NFL is like this, you know, like they overcame. The Rooney Rule was passed in 1989. And that, that's that is like exactly. well in it, well in the years of this should have been happening already. You know, yeah, I mean? but you know what it is, is 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 so that they can be interviewed. It's not so that they can be hired. It, you we can interview all day long. It, you know what I'm saying? It, that's why things happen to that man. I feel bad for him, uh, Brian Flores. That's why it happened to him like that. He found out three days before that he didn't have a job because of an accidental text, which means they on their part didn't care, and that's why they was drunk when he went into the interview. Allegedly. Well, no, 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 hold on. But the, but the Giants, the Giants, he didn't say the Giants were drunk. He was saying that the Denver Broncos, he was interviewed for two different jobs. That's so. what I'm saying. Okay, but listen. But you were saying that, not the Giants wasn't drunk. Okay, this Giants, is my, this The Giants was the one that he had the problem with. That's, that's this, why but this is my whole right. point. Everybody he interviewed for already knew he wasn't going to get the job. The decision was already made. That's what I'm saying. So they followed the Rooney rule they interviewed him like they were supposed to, but nobody had any intentions on hiring him. That's why I'm proud that that man is moving forward with what's going on because somebody got to stand up. And I'm glad that that proof fell into his hands because maybe he has some ground to stand on right now. Yeah, well, he, he definitely got a ground to stand on. I mean, like one thing he said in that um, clip right there was basically like, you don't need to validate that the NFL, had, there's no, you don't have to verify the NFL has shown that it has some racist tendencies. I mean, it's it's all out there in the open. I mean, the fact that we're in this day and age, and I think seventy percent of the NFL is Af- uh, like African American or minority, and the fact that you only have five head coaches, and when you look back on like like the hundred top greatest NFL players and stuff like that, to say that none of these men ever deserved the job, the greatest in their profession at some time. I mean, obviously they could teach somebody how to be as good as they are, you know, you know, if they had the right person to mold for the job, you know, but um, it's just, a, it's a sad, it's a sad thing. That, and, and that's why I said, I think they sold out a little bit because the fact that they're up there and they're having this um great celebration of hip hop and all the other stuff like that, supposedly it's like on the back end, Brian Flores is, um, you know, getting a better raw deal. And I think they were saying like, I don't know. Allegedly, they said Dr. Dre played like eight million dollars for that halftime show or something like that. Was that eight million dollars worth it? Well, I see what you're saying. If you if you if you still got this, if you still got this going on in the NFL, is that eight million dollars worth it? I mean, that's allegedly if he paid for it, but that's what they're saying. It's alleged that he paid eight million dollars or seven to eight million dollars for the the halftime show. To me, it just seems silly, man. It doesn't make sense. I like to add the culture and the climate for um like the difference between football and basketball is so crazy right like right. <clears throat> had that halftime show been something that was presented at at a, at a basketball game but by the same token it's still issues within the NBA that need to be addressed and need to be handled huh. we just Honestly, don't see them on the forefront as much as we do when it comes to football Honestly, I think on in the NBA, I think out of all the leagues, I think the NBA handles it as best as they can. And I think the reason why with the NBA is because, um, number one, the players make so much money that they can actually boycott. 
they can actually do more. The thing about the NFL is everybody don't make millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. There's a lot of people on them benches that's not making really anything. You know what I mean? So they don't really have the voice or they don't have the option of just saying, like, listen, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. But um, I think the M- NBA actually pretty pretty much does a pretty – I think they know where their bread is butted. I was just making a point. It's still issues. Oh, they got the issues. They yeah, issues right. in, they in every issues. in every. They have issues, yeah. It's faster to sports. Yeah. I mean, that's just what it is. Let me correct myself because you're right in, in the sense of the NBA because the NBA do have issues with um giving out head coaching jobs, man. Like, I think a lot of times the NBA, just like the NFL – can give a head coaching job to like a novice, like somebody who's like really don't have any head coaching experience who's Caucasian. But, you know, you have African-American people that have played basketball, have shown that they've been great coaches and stuff like that, and they can't get a job. Mm. You know what I mean? Like a perfect example is um, Steve Nash in Brooklyn. I mean, yeah, he has some front office experience and stuff like that. And a lot of people are like on him right now because they, they don't think he really deserved that job. You know, and he has a lot of talent in Brooklyn and uh, on his team. And uh, right now, I think they're just fighting to get into the playoffs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and then you have a guy like Mark Jackson, who's successful in basketball from Brooklyn, New York, and uh, then did everything as a as a player. And he actually was the coach of Golden State at one time. A lot of people say that he put that Golden State team together, and they ended up firing him or letting him go for some some alleged issue. He had some issues, I believe, with his religion or something like that. According to Andre Iguodala, I've seen something where they were saying, like, they had an issue with him and uh, homosexuality or something like that and uh, his belief in religion or something like that. Mm. And um, so allegedly, I think Andre Iguodala said it on The Breakfast Club or something like that. But the whole point of it is, is that at the end of the day, the man is coming to do a job. I don't care what he believes in, as long as he, he can actually coach basketball you know what i mean and uh he's obviously proven that so i mean yeah they do have issues with that and that's another thing that's the biggest thing with the nfl right now is that they're hiring a lot of people who like brian flores has more winning seasons than the last four white coaches that been hired mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so how how in the world doesn't the man deserve an opportunity for a job you know it's crazy yeah and that's what it is is that the, the whole hiring practices and all for this it's always been an issue even with black owners, football definitely no black owners. And look and look at all of that money, all of these African African Americans spent to go to that this particular Super Bowl to celebrate, you know, hip hop music being in the Super Bowl and all the other stuff like that. They spent a lot of money out there. What is what is the NFL really doing about um, taking care of, of hiring more black front office people, more head coaches? Um, I don't even believe there's a black owner. Yeah. As of yet, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think the comedian, what's his name again? Uh, Byron Allen is trying to purchase a team right now. The good thing about Byron Allen, though, is that I believe if, if there's any way for him to purchase it, he's going to purchase it because that's his whole thing. It's like if you don't let him in, you know, he's going to sue you for not letting him in. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's pretty much how that's how me, how he's been operating, man. So he's been he's been pretty good with what he's doing. You know, he's a he's a leader. He's a quiet leader over there, doing what he does. But uh, <laughs> but again, yeah, I think it's I think it's a slap in the face. I think Jay Z, all of them, Dr. Dre, and all of them, knowing that these things are on the back end before they even signed into 
to this thing. They should have they should have been asking then like, yo, listen, why we ain't got no black owners? How come we in this day and age we got two and three black head coaches? And when the Rooney Rule was put together, we only had two at the time, so we only moved up maybe you know one or two more people. That's ridiculous. And this has been since 1989, and we go into a Super Bowl and we celebrating like you know like they're doing something good for you know African American people. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe Jay Z's take on it was that at least I mean I can't speak for him because I don't I don't know him personally, but maybe his take on it was just that at least it's something, at least it's a start. Like we gotta start somewhere. Yeah, how many starts are you gonna get all the time though, man? But this ain't this ain't the nineteen sixties, man. This is, you know, we're in two thousand twenty two, man, and we're still talking about there's an NFL that has, you know, what, less than five black coaches. Talking about the people who actually are um great football players who have not been even invited to the front office or, you know what I mean? Who better to pick talent than somebody that's talented football player? I guess it's better to just have them commenting on the games on these networks as opposed to being in the actual organization. Uh, it seemed like it was a little shucking and jiving on that. Uh, and, I, and, I, and again, I don't know, maybe unconsciously they were doing this thing, uh, but I think they, being who they are, they're intelligent enough. I think they should have came to the table with a plan. Like, listen, now nah, y'all can't continue doing this. And then access to do a Super Bowl halftime show. Are you crazy? And then the only person that takes a tough stand is Eminem. And everybody else stood around and watched. That's what kind of unnerved me. It was like, y'all should have been down there. I mean, he threw his fist up on the BET Awards and everybody went crazy. When he threw his fist up. Eminem. I mean, I don't... Listen, that's a whole nother topic. I'm not going to... Well, again, uh, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm super singing his praises or anything like that, but I would say at least he came came to the, the... to them with the agenda like listen i'm not doing this unless i get on one knee if, no. if he didn't do that if he didn't do that nobody would ever but that's the thing i don't i don't have a problem with him doing it i have the problem with everybody else not doing it you know 50 yeah, that's, what I'm, there, that's what i'm saying you know jay and all them said like this that shouldn't even went down like that i mean if you want to do it then you join him in doing it or he joins no. you in doing it you don't you don't agree Mm-mm. you don't agree because mary dre snoop 50 they all have more to lose getting on that knee than Eminem, who will never suffer any repercussions from doing. Well, that. let me ask though, what, what they what do they lose? This man Dre alone is a billionaire. What does he lose? You does they lose? Did, so that means they can stop him from getting money. How other people been stopped before? Other people been stopped before. They can shut it down. Trust me. Yeah, he has money. He's done very well for himself. He's doing mm-hmm. very well. So is Jay Z. But don't think at any given point. That they can't be stopped from getting. Well, that's money. just the game. That's just the game. But in this particular situation, they're not losing anything by taking a stance. I don't know. I could be. I, so you, you're talking about. I don't mean to cut you off, but you're talking about what you figure Jay Z, which he didn't perform, but Jay Z, Fifty Cent, you know, Dr. Dre, just to name a few, Snoop. These guys are empires. Each one of them, and they own right. To shut them down means that they lose. Corporations lose money. You know what I mean? So some things might slip through the crack. I'm not saying that they're above not getting it knocked off. You know what I mean? But the thing is, is that these guys are are, are powerhouses in their own right. So they're not they're not standing as much to lose as, you know, Eminem. Well, even even in this, it's not even that they had to stand up. You know, it's not how they had to go to the show and do nothing. Just say, I'm not doing it. I'm not showing up. 
I'm not going to do, I'm not doing this show because I recognize that y'all are basically trying to give us a, a carrot and act as if like everything is good. They didn't well, necessarily heard, have to do the show. I heard it was Dre's idea. He brought the whole, he's the one that suggested that they come up there and do that. He picked the, he picked the, the lineup and all of that. But listen, like, let's just think, look at I, it like this. Ahead, I'm sorry. Look, look, look at it like this. Okay. There was a halftime show, right? Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson. Okay. Mm-hmm. You trying to tell me that they didn't rehearse their show? Of course they did. You trying to tell me that's why the pasty was was on her nipple? Uh, the pasty was on her nipple because they was gonna rip off the, the rip it open. Who suffered from that the most? Janet. I think she really. I don't think she really don't suffered from it. I think she. I think she. I mean, I think she, 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 she got bad press, but she ain't press. She ain't lose no money on it. I just watched the whole documentary about how much she suffered. You know how hard she had to fight to stay in the game. I just watched a whole documentary on Janet Jackson. They talk about that. They tried to tarnish her career. The fact well, I think that, that was I'm just... wearing, I'm wearing, you see, I'm wearing a Janet Jackson shirt right <laughs> I see, now. I see That's it. how much I, I was inspired by her her documentary. No, but I'm saying I think I think it was more so. She's looking at it from an instance of bad press. I don't think it. You know, I don't think it really killed her career or nothing like that. It's Janet Jackson. You have to research. You have to do your research, buddy. No, I know. I know what you're talking. I didn't. Honestly speaking, I haven't watched the documentary, and I'm quite sure that you know, you know, it's going to say. But looking at it from Janet's perspective, and looking at it from our perspective, I mean, I, I don't care about that's getting bad it, press. That's what it was about, though. It wasn't just about the bad press. It was just about like her records not coming out, not getting pushed like that, and. Her uh-huh. having to, okay. really, you know, it was like a little struggle for a second. And that's what she endured. She overcame it. She's been around for decades. You know what I'm saying? And she's still looked at as one of the most prettiest women. You know what I mean? And 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 and, and she still looked at as a person who changed the industry. When she came out with that Control album, she shut right. everything down. And yeah. it's still like, it still gets this accolade. I mean, not to, not to make saying? it, not to make this conversation about Janet, but just in retrospect. She had to scratch her way back up for what chicks are doing for nothing right now. Yes. Coming on stage with pasties and ripping off their clothes. Yes. Which is a whole other issue that we can discuss. But to circle back to what you were saying about, you know, saying that we won't do it. You know what I mean? And this is in regards to Dr. Dre and all of them. What about us? Why do we still do yeah. it? You know what I mean? Why do we still support, uh, you know, the NFL? Because I know a lot of you people must- was... A lot of people was saying that they was they they stopped watching football because of this reason. Here's here's my point. My point is is that where did we start losing these these more? It's a trained behavior. It's a vicious cycle. It's nobody to really step outside the box because it's easier just to just to comply and deal with what we've been dealing with. It's very few people that's that's willing to put up that fight and be like, you know what? Mm-mm, no more Super Bowls. You know why too? Because a lot of people is nosy. Everybody else is watching it. I want to see what I'm missing. That's the well, same give an, thing. With- I give I give you an example on this, right? Like right now, just because we're having this conversation, and I, I guess guarantee you, when you get um, put this up on YouTube and stuff like that, and you'll get the comments. And it seems like when you say anything against, like you know, Jay Z, Dr. Dre, you know, all of these different um, black men with money and stuff like that, it's like our African American people will. Will will support these people even in the sellout? Yeah, they'll I'm support not, them not, in the sellout. I'm not saying I'm necessarily. It's like because they got no, no, no. I'm saying well, no, no. I'm, t- I'm but I'm telling you. I'll give you an I'm example. Not, just go ahead. Just like that. Just like that Barclays thing. 
when they did Barclays and they were talking about like Jay-Z is the owner of, Barclay, uh, of the Barclays building and all the other stuff like that. And reality, reality, we knew he wasn't like the head owner or anything like that. He might have had something to do with, you know, with the that. company. Right. But know. what happened? But what happens is I believe, and this is what I watched the documentary on it when they were talking about how they basically finessed a lot of people out of their homes in Brooklyn um, because of the eminent, was it, eminent domain, eminent domain. Where, where they were talking about how um, for the, like, for instance, if I don't want to sell my property or if I don't want to sell my store and the, uh, in Brooklyn, how, however, they find out for the greater good for business and stuff like that, that they can go ahead and, uh, Get sell my store, get get rid of my business, then mm-hmm. it's all good. But I think they actually used him as a face of um the the Brooklyn Nets. His face is posted all over. He's an owner. He's an owner. He's an owner. In reality, he's probably like a, a silent owner, a small owner of a portion of it. But there's a huge corporation that's behind him. You know what I mean? So when the people in the hood is saying, like, listen, I don't want to sell my property. I don't want to fall cave into eminent domain or anything like that. Then you have people in the back end saying, oh, well, it's Jay-Z. He's a he's a he's a he's a owner. He's a black owner or whatever like that. And then a lot of those people voices were were, were kind of like. Like forced, uh, forced in a situation where they had no voice because of the fact that, you know, people were saying it's Jay-Z. It's a good thing. It's him. He's going to do the great for greater good for us or whatever case may be. Yeah, that's, I mean, simply put, man, they look at it and say the devil ain't, ain't white. You know what I mean, I was, you know what I mean? Yeah. in terms of like, say he's coming and saying, well, Jay-Z put the stamp on it. So it got to be right. You know what I yeah. mean? He's not going to he's not going to jog over Brooklyn. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that he's not a, you know, maybe a good businessman or anything like that. But for me, um, and maybe he have good intentions and stuff like that. But for me, it sounds just like, you know, the back in the thing, back in the day thing, like it's an overseer kind of thing. These guys have influence. So when you want to influence, influence people, you go get Jay-Z. For older black people, you go get Steve Harvey. You know what I mean? And for some reason, people will not speak out against these people because they are, they're, they're influencers. Right. You and know, to bring it back to like the point I was just trying to make was like, and not to make it sound like any type of racial issue, but let's be for real. If you've had your house and you've had your business for God knows how long and a bunch of white men in suits came to you right now and just say, yo, like, sell your business, sell your house. You want to build a stadium. here," The whole neighborhood would riot. You know what I mean? We're from that neighborhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. we can kind of speak to that particular situation because we're from that neighborhood. This is our area right. where we came from. And I mean right. that like on a personal level. So if a person came and said, look, uh, these guys are all coming together because they want to um, basically turn downtown Brooklyn into Disneyland. We're going to erase everything that we know. You know what I mean? Because right. at, certain, at a certain point, when they start building this thing, you can't afford to stay here. I can't afford to pay the rent for my business. You know what I mean? They want to move me out and say, if I'm the uh, neighborhood diner, now they want to move me out and put in a Buffalo Wild Wings. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Well, even now, well, you know, downtown Brooklyn now, where it's like even so much so that, and this is how I feel about Brooklyn. Now, I used to love downtown Brooklyn because you had so many um, different owners of businesses, whereas you could get a variety of different clothing. Like when you walk down there, you know, this store owner didn't buy what that store owner bought. 
You know what I mean? It's, like even just in regards to sneakers and stuff like that. You had the flea market. You had, you know, uh, the bazaar. You had different places that you can go to get different style of things. Downtown Brooklyn is so corporate now is that everything is pretty much footlocker. It's pretty much uh, you know, foot action, whatever major uh, sneaker store or whatever case may be is down there. And everything is the same. It's an outlet. And every store is the same exact thing. You know what I mean? They've erased the whole mom and pop business. But that's you know just I mean? about everywhere because, I mean, I in my area right here, and I know I often refer to my area, this used to be a quaint little section of, you know, basically Yonkers. There's a quaint little section. So you had your local fish market. You had your local hairdresser. You had your local print and press um, printing company. You had your local cleaners. They used to actually pick your clothes up and deliver it back to you, cleaners. My mom right now, they still have a um, a drugstore. They deliver her medicine to her. But for the most part, those little stores got tore down. They're not here anymore. They can't and, afford to be there. And, we're, and we are surrounded by all new faces, whereas there was a time you could walk down the street and know everybody you were passing or at least know that they were a part of somebody's family that you knew in this area. And it got to, it's got to the point where so many new faces here um, and so many co-ops around you. Like the the I think I mentioned this to y'all before, the apartments right down the street. I could walk to the apartments right down the street from my mom, which is so crazy because they right across from the projects, the quote unquote projects. These projects is pretty nice though over here. No no lie. Right. But they right across from the projects they're called condominiums. Twenty seven hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom that's a little bit over five hundred square feet. Yeah, it's a condo. Well that's the, what well, that's what I'm saying as far as right now. It's like apartment. even 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 our old neighborhood was which is um which was a, it's a hood, you know what I mean? And um, well, our old neighborhood is, yeah, but it's gentrification, man, mm-hmm. to the point where the whole thing has lost the personality of the neighborhood. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, I, and I'm, I, again, I'm more for all colors of people. I don't have no problem with no different colors, but the fact that um, it's just gentrified to the point where it's like, I go home now, I barely know anybody there. You know what I mean? And then yeah. it's more... It's more Caucasian people in the neighborhood than there is any African-Americans or any Latinos or anything like that. And again, I don't have a problem with color or anything like that. But I think it's not the fact that I have a problem with any kind of color. I think I have a problem with the fact that people are forced out. You know what I mean? They're forced out. The the, the minorities who built this neighborhood, who um, who the neighborhood got its culture and charisma from, are being forced out financially. That's true because in in South Bridge in Wilmington, where I have my house, right? I remember one of the selling points that the realtor was South South Bridge and Delaware for people that don't. Yeah, South Bridge and Delaware. I have my house. Okay, Claymore Street represent. (laughs) 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 Um, But um, you know, the one of the selling points that the realtor was using was eventually they're going to come around and they're going to knock on your door because they're they're building up the riverfront and in seven years. You know, it's projected to be like, you know, this is going to be a really, really, really expensive area. Like she's telling me this is about to be gentrified without telling. And she's selling it like you could sell your house for a whole lot of money. And let me tell you something. Ten years later. Like, she's right. She's actually yeah, right. Yeah. Well, no, she really wasn't. She was she right. Wasn't. She was right. She really wasn't. Because they said in five to seven years and I was in my house for 10 years, 
And I didn't see nothing like that. I saw the riverfront growing up, but I didn't see nobody coming in trying to take over my house. They now they it's not open. Not a now. Yeah, it's slow. It's slow, but it's, it's moving. Slow ground, but it's, it's moving. moving. Yeah, it's changing. It's now. moving. It's changing it's now. People over there that's not gonna move. My friend's grandmother. They they knock on her door. She says she's not going anywhere, and she's oh. one of the oldest. <laughs> she's one of the oldest residents in, of that area. She, mm. she's oh, they're gonna. They're gonna go. That's what I'm telling you. They're gonna move. <laughs> You're gonna move <laughs> eventually when they want that. I'm when going. they want that area, you getting up out of there. You know what I mean? Well, but going. that's again. That's huh. I'm going. I'm I'm back home now. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying in regards to like that's the whole thing is when they come through with that money, either you're gonna move, and again, this goes back to how they did in Brooklyn. It's like, all right, it's for the greater good for the state. You know, um, you're stopping it up. It's either you can uh <laughs> it's like a like what's the rapper say, uh Benny said, get down or lay down. Pretty much. <laughs> get I, I down know or lay like, down. I know we 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 might be a little pressed for time, but I just want to throw this in there. I am um, researching this Bill Cosby thing, I do want to get into it our next show because it's really, really interesting. Um, talking about that whole, I think it's a four or five part part documentary series on Showtime, and I really, really want to get into it because I think that yeah, that w. Bell. yeah, I think y'all would yeah. really enjoy what I'm seeing because it's not like what I thought. I thought they was going to bring Bill Cosby on there, match no. Bill Cosby like that, and it wasn't even like that. It's not. It's really not like that. What, uh, the, what the publicist was saying, and I know, like I said, we we gonna do a show on that, a separate show. But yeah, the publicist was basically saying, like, why we keep bringing this up? And Bill Cosby's publicist. You know, you know what's funny about that? I didn't watch the the. I didn't watch it. And we'll keep it brief because um, obviously we want to do a show on it. I didn't watch it, but he's getting a lot of flack for that. Oh yeah, W. Kamal Bell is is, is getting slammed against I mean, the fence for this one. You know, you know what, you know what was my first thing that I saw when I first like started watching it. I was like, "This the dude from CNN." Like, I didn't know he was a comedian. Yeah, he had a show was, on FX. Um, not a, a, a um comedy show, but he does a lot of documentaries mixed in with his comedy. Yeah. He's a protege, I think, of Chris Rock. Actually, he goes under. Well, I don't know about all of that, but he goes to uh uh like Africa and whatnot. Does all of these documentaries, and some of them are pretty good. Mom. I think it's called United Shades of America. United Shades that's of America, yeah. Yeah, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, that's what it's called. Because my mom used to be like, oh, I want to see this episode. So she would record it. So sometimes I would, you know, watch it with her or whatever. And it was pretty interesting. But I had no idea that he was a comedian. So this really just was threw me for a loop. Well, you got to see. I watched the, I'm sorry. I watched a couple of his, I watched a couple of his shows. And they, they, like you said, they were interesting. I, I think I... I Bill Cosby did anything wrong to anybody. I feel that he should, you know, get what it, you know, get get what's coming to him. Let me ask you this. Just ask you this. I know we're not doing the show, but let me ask you this. I mean, if he if he did his time. And he did. Like you mean completely did, did the whole stretch without getting out of jail. If he did his time. Well, I mean, whatever time he did. What is his time? I mean, what I mean, what constitutes his time? The time you say well, he was incarcerated. He did, yeah, he did his oh, time. Okay. Well, he did his time. He, yeah, he did it. Okay. He did his time. I mean, like, I mean, is, they, let him gonna... out? they let him out early, right? Yeah. Well, he didn't get let out early. From what I understand, it was a, um, a glitch in his case. Yeah. They, they, they violated, they violated, um, they trying to go rights. back and they trying to go back. Well, from my understanding, what happens is, is that it was certain statements that were took when he would, when he was being questioned that they assured him that was not going to be used against him in court. And they used yeah, his documents him. were sealed. His documents so were sealed. So check it out. So when I finish watching this docu-series, it's going to take me like a couple 
more days by by the next show i should be ready we're gonna go in well, on the it. next show we got a guest so we're not gonna be talking oh about yes yeah, why don't yeah, you talk yeah, about yeah. that real quick well it's um kelly garrett and she's an author of the uh, detective by day series um there's two books in that series and um she also has a book that's coming out i believe next month called like a sister which is based on uh, um a case that happened in the Bronx. It's not the actual case, but the story is based on it about a uh, Instagram model who was, who was uh, found naked dead in the street. And um, basically her sister was coming to visit. I don't want to give too much away because I let Kelly, Kelly talk about it, but yeah. that's, that's next week's show. That's next week. Or well, not next week. Well, yeah, next week, next week. Well, sometime this week, next show, whatever the next episode. The next show, yeah. No, yeah, next yeah, show. Yeah, next working show. Hard. Yeah, we're working hard, yeah. We're starting to run together, but yeah, yeah that's the next episode. <laughs> yeah. So. But, um, yeah. That, um, If he did his time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He did his time, man. I, I don't, I don't, like, somebody asked, like, how many documentaries are we going to have? You know what I mean? Like, it's like R. Kelly, like, like how many times are we going to do uh Bill is the new OJ. You know? Let's just throw it out. Okay, there. Let's, not, let's not even talk about it no more. We're going to talk about it when I finish I'm just watching. Gonna, I'm just going to leave that with y'all. Bill is the new OJ. They're not going to mm-hmm. get away with mm-hmm. this one. Mm-hmm. Them just and like and I just want to I'm to clear Andre, this up. I'm, I'm not, not ready to go in right now. No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. I just want to clear this up. I'm not exonerating a man of nothing, man. If he did anything wrong, you know, the justice system would deal with him like how they're supposed to deal with him. You know what I mean? I just was wondering, like, what's the purpose of it? You know, what I mean, if he yeah. did his, if if he did his time, you know, what I mean, I'm gonna keep my comments to whether I think he did or didn't well, do something wrong to myself until I finish the documentary. Um, right, right, right. I'm not gonna say it. I just I'll actually I need it, to do more re- research yeah. on it myself. And yeah. I put it to you like this: remember, the same justice system that everyone says is fair and balanced is what let Bill Cosby out, and we'll leave it like that. <laughs> we'll leave it like that. <laughs> So, so is Bill Cosby on trial or is the justice system on trial? So we'll leave it at that. I think the justice system is a little weird too. Like, I mean, if you know you did something illegal, like how how are you able to seal a document to say that you know it can't come back on you or something like that? That's that's kind of crazy in itself. You know what I mean? So again, I I never read the document. I don't know what it was. We won't get to it. Speculate on that. We won't get to all of that. We will go into it. So don't even worry about it. Let me ask y'all a question, right? Uh, All right. Still Black History Month, right? Right. Yeah. But is it? Is it well, really? Well, that's a joke in itself. Is, <laughs> is it really? I mean, <laughs> we got because days. I'm going to keep it a grip with you. Nobody really talks about Black History Month these days, man. You know what I mean? And so um, yeah. somebody got some feedback going on. Um, what happens is, is that we have Black History Month, and now I guess running with Black History Month is Black Futures Month, right? And mm-hmm. um, basically, I think that when when they when they kind of present Black History to kids in school, of course we go to like the big one, like Martin Luther King. You know what I mean? Rosa Parks. That's pretty much all the kids are taught. The Black Futures thing is to teach them, I guess, going forward. Whereas I'm like, my argument is they don't really know what happened in the past. You know what I mean? Right. So they don't even know how black history got started, how the whole month got started, which is crazy. So I did a little dive on it, man. And it was recognized, of course, in 1976 by Gerald Ford. 
And he said that was calling upon the public to seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Now, this is according to uh, history.com is, you know, as much as you can get out of it. It was also known as African History Month. Now, the event grew out of Negro History Week, which was the brainchild of Carter G. Woodson, daughter of the miseducation of the Negro and other prominent African-Americans at that time. Right. Kids, kids, you don't know that. You don't know that because it's not taught. All you taught is Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, right? Now, fast forward. 2015. Black Futures Month was created by the Movement for Black Lives, and that was again 2015. It is celebrated in conjunction with Black History Month in February. How many people knew about that? Raise your hands. You just they can't heard? see us anyway. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, like in terms of between us, between us or just to the public. How many people knew that? Because a lot of people, you heard the term black futures, but you're not really knowing where it's coming from. Right. So movement for black lives is an organization that was, you know, like put together by different prominent groups. Black lives matter being one of them. Now, I said the idea of black futures month is to reimagine the idea of black history month and change the emphasis from the history of people of color to our futures. Afrofuturism, this is where it's all spanning from, is a philosophy that reimagines the world of tomorrow, which many people see as informing Black Futures Month. You might recognize Afrofuturistic themes from like Janelle Monet's Metropolis. I've never seen Janelle Monet's Metropolis. Anybody's familiar with that? All right. Nah. All right. I am somewhat. Somewhat? Okay. You care to speak on it or... Because I'm not I mean, familiar with her version of Metropolis. I know the movie Metropolis, but not the her version of it. Oh, there was an actual movie Metropolis? It's a very old, old, old movie. Like, oh, no, I thought, I thought this came from Janelle. I thought this was uh, Janelle Monet. Yeah, see, see, this is what this, this show is about, man. The exchange of information, right? Well, at least I'm being honest. Yeah, but see, you're not right. the only one, man. We have listeners that probably don't know this. You know what I mean? So go ahead. What, yeah. what was you going to say about so? Because you educating me, I know I don't know anything about Janelle Monae's. I mean, I mean, I really can't get into detail because uh, I know, I know I saw this, but I can't really quite. I don't think it was something that that really. Uh, I want to watch my words. I've been saying crazy stuff. Uh, like, uh, I'm listen, man. I'm, I'm gonna say I that think, for I yourself, think... but before y'all get into it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pull up a clip of okay. Afrofuturism explained. All right. All right, Afrofuturism explained. Look at the shirt that I'm wearing. Black Panther shirt, y'all. Okay, right. we'll the forever. All right, okay. I want you All to right. think about that when I play this clip. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. People to have a future. What does that look like? In February 2018, Marvel's Black Panther broke box office records and elevated the phrase Afrofuturism to the forefront of the American lexicon. But Afrofuturism is a practice that goes far beyond the aesthetic of Black people donning cool science fiction costumes. It is a genre of speculative fiction that highlights what regular science fiction can't and won't. Greg Tate has spoken about how Black people live the alienation that science fiction writers imagined. Black people live the alienation that science fiction writers imagine. 
Man, it sounds a little space cadetish to me, man. Mm. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's people out here that, that support this, man. I look. <laughs> Space cadetish, man. Yeah. You know what this is probably you know what this is? This is like uh this is like the conscious community with money behind it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean like it's like it's it, I like you know, you like some of the conscious community stuff and you listen to some of them, but then they just get weird on you, man. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? You know what I you know what I envision in my head when you say Afrofuturism? To be honest with you, and y'all could judge me if you weren't, the first thing that came to my mind was Avatar. Because I feel as though uh, the movie Avatar <laughs> really, it, 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 it really is, a, I guess, a, the, the big blue monsters, right? Yeah. yeah. It's really. Yeah, I've never paid a full amount what? of attention. To I, watched the, I watched the movie. It was whack to me, but I, I it's not whack. That was an How a whole culture was robbed of what they had because of their land and the jewels that their land, the, the minerals that their land possessed i think it might have even been gold mm. you know and then and then they, they come in and they attack them and all of this stuff the people fought back wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so you had you have my curiosity like some, like man black. but now you got my attention so you said it's that they, good, they stole they stole their land and their, their minerals and all that they tried to sell it they tried to get steal their land from the minerals or whatever but the people kind of joined forces and band together and fought back so what's crazy about avatar is that it's not done the contract i think the new one was supposed to come out 2021 but because of covid it's not but i think one is supposed to come out like every seven years and it's a continue continuation of the first one what i would suggest that you do i'm gonna check this out out. yeah because now you you need to take the time out and watch avatar so who who, who are these colonizers that were trying to steal from these i got got off that's the whole point i got off the bus (laughs) (laughs) i got off the bus at the first show yo and it's crazy because it's crazy because you have to really watch it i don't want to give too much away but really i mean pretty much everybody probably saw it but us but go ahead they've had these they got these um they have like they have me say me and you we working for the government, right? Mm-hmm. They have a way to put us to sleep and wake us up so that we on their land. And now we learning the culture and everything and running. Oh, so with they them. was like spying on them. Spies. But the thing is, what happened is one of the dudes that was spying actually fell in love with the chief's daughter, the king's daughter or the chief, whatever you want to call him. And he really became like into the culture and everything. And so now he's torn because they're over here pressing him to get, get the information and get them up out of there, move them out the way so we could get this goal. And he, he, he doesn't know how to handle it. So that's like some dances with wolves type stuff. Sort of like that. Yes. Mm, yes, Okay. Okay. All right. So more futuristic, more more futuristic. futuristic. Okay. So I mean, it's a good movie. It really is. All and right. Andre just don't have patience. That's what Andre was a long time all ago. Right. Well, you know, all right. So let, let's get back to take real quick. All so right. this is just explaining about um, Afrofuturism. So, so far, what we left off at is, you know, inspired. Correct me if I'm wrong, because y'all two heard the same thing. Inspired by the Black Panther movie, Marvel's Black Panther. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's talking about what black folks could be doing in the future because if you ever go on amazon they do have like a bunch of um afrofuturism novels written in the the glyphs that you see on the black panther and all that like they had little glyphs on there and all that 
All right, but check this out, though. Just check, the, check this out. The parallels between black life and sci-fi storylines are blatant. Despite this, there has been a glaring exclusion of black people from works of science fiction. As such, one might think that black people would shy away from speculative fiction and instead opt to focus on the present. We need to represent blackness and black people within every realm. We need to be able to see that that imagination is key. And representation has to do with allowing ourselves to be able to let our imaginations take flight. That that creative impulse, that's essential. Afro aliens call us weird. Traveled through the galaxy and we landed here. Afrofuturism is an art form, practice, and methodology that allows black people to see themselves in the future despite a distressing past and present. Now, to me, and I could be wrong, it kind of says forget the past. Am I wrong in saying that? What do y'all think? I don't think we could move forward with our future without, you know, gotta acknowledge the past. past. And the only yeah. reason that I bring this particular topic up is because, like I said, being in education and I see this term gets thrown around more and more. Like, you know, the kids doing Black History Month and you see um, pictures of people who are like, you know, let's just say like Viola Davis or, you know, uh, Denzel or something. You know what I mean? Like say, not to say that those people don't make history in their own right, but in the same token, you have a kid who don't know who Malcolm X is. Who's Muhammad Ali? Right. Who's that? You know what I mean? Like say, who's, who's, you know, Bessie Coleman? Who's this person? You know, like they don't know the past so mm-hmm. like my thought on that was it's more like if you start kind of pushing this whole black futures thing eventually it's going to outshadow black history i think we have to look back in the past to guys like muhammad ali and you know uh malcolm See, x and certain individuals whereas these people step pushed aside money for their morals for their integrity you know what i mean and a lot of these new people that you're going to praise they're they they've stuck their thumb so far down their throat they can't even speak. You know what did I mean? Look at did y'all watch that documentary on um what was it? Was it Amazon Prime with um <clears throat> I forgot what was it Regina King that did it? Um where it was Malcolm, Sam Cook, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, so, uh, oh that wasn't a documentary, that was a movie. It was oh, a movie. Well, that's movie. movie. Fictional that's history. That's what I meant. Yeah. What was uh, it? Something about Miami. A one night, night one night in Miami. A night, one night yeah, in based Miami. on a play that, that was done. What did y'all but all of these, but all of those people, that's why I said it's good to, you know, um, go back to history because when you watch Jim Brown, you watch um just to use those people that we just that you you, you referenced mm-hmm. in that uh, thing, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, you know, uh, crazy integrity, Muhammad Ali, you know, crazy integrity, walked away Brown? from money. Wasn't Jim Brown supporting Trump though? No, he. I don't know if he necessarily supported Trump. He met with Trump. Supposedly, yeah, him and Steve it was the, the same time as um, Kanye but, was going through his thing in the White House. That's when Jim Brown was there too. You know, but I would say they say the same thing about Ice Cube. Like Ice Cube met with Trump. I'm not a big fan of Trump at all. I, I don't have no. Cube didn't meet with Trump. He met with well, Trump's people. He didn't. Well, meet. I would say that. Yeah. But I wanted. I wanted to say this in regards to it is that. If Ice Cube met Trump or met his people, Ice Cube has a certain integrity where I could say, well, I know he's there to do the best for us. You know what I mean? I don't trust Steve Harvey. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't trust Kanye. But I, I, I would I would 
trust a Jim Brown or, or, or an Ice Cube because of their history of how they they done things. So I know if they're going there to meet with them, I don't think they're going to Coon and Buffoon. You know what I mean? But again, you know, I'm not a big fan of nobody necessarily meeting with Trump, but you know, it is what it is, you know. But like you said, going back to those people, I mean, Sam Cooke, man, was one of the first people to try to start his own business as far as recording, you know, being his own owner of his own music and different things like that. And these guys didn't sell out, man. So we got to say this whole Black Futures thing. I, I think we're going to start teaching kids how to shut up and get the bag, you know, I mean, through this yeah, Black I Futures mean, thing. I, I mean, to me, it just seemed like they took the whole Wakanda concept and went a little bit too far with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think, Josh? You had this concerned look on your face. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I think on one hand, to be honest with you, that Black Panther movie, that was a good feeling when that came out. You know what I'm yeah, saying? No it was some pretty, no pretty decent movie, yeah, lines. Yeah. It was decent lines in that movie. The fact that it was Marvel it attracted so many um, people outside of our race, but the fact that it it, it was like motivational, and we needed yeah. that little we needed that at, in that yeah. moment, that little upliftment in that moment. Um, by the same token, we have to realize that there is no real place named Wakanda. It's good to stay. <laughs> I'm being honest. It, it's no, good to it. stay. It's good to stay in the moment and feel, you know, motivated and to love your people and to be really proud to be black. You know, not just for Black History Month, but every month. You know what I mean? Be be proud of who you are. We're the only culture that seems to be ashamed of our culture. Everybody else has a little bit of arrogance about them or confidence, I might say, instead of saying arrogance, where they just, you know, they embrace their culture. Sometimes we get to a certain point in our lives and we don't um, we get to a certain point in our lives and we forget that it's OK to embrace our culture. You know, we, we feel like we got to tone it down or, or or keep it cool to not piss anybody off. So a movie like Black Panther it is inspirational. And it was needed for the moment. But the flip side of that is we have to realize that that's not reality. And we should be working on keeping that motivation um, at all times. We shouldn't be using that as a premise for some future. Right. So like say, if you say black futures, like when I watched that movie. Right. And, you know, even the ending and everything with them starting their outreach center and everybody was scientists and, you know, um, you know, technicians and things of that nature. That mm-hmm. did a lot for young African American kids in particular, but African Americans really in particular to right. um, like spark their interest in STEM and you know what I mean. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean. So when you say in Black Futures, I can understand you being engineers, mathematicians, scientists, artists, things of that nature, but not what we just saw there where they was dancing around in this alien voice and all that. That's not. That's not Black Future. I agree. I'm also, too, looking at this whole movement for Black lives. So if, you know, you go on their website, www.movement, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, m4bl.org. Like mm-hmm. I said. The- Hold on. But you know what's funny about this? This is like about, um, like, I remember one time I watching Jada Pinkett on Oprah, right? And I think she said something. It was either Jada or Will. And they were like, I want to live in a world where one plus one doesn't equal two. You know what I mean? And there's people in the audience and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so deep. We live in a world where one plus one equal two. 
Right. It's not it's not deep. You know what I mean? It's just like you got so much money that you make it, you know, people are willing to listen to, you know, what you're saying. You know what I mean? If if a bum said that to you or somebody less fortunate, you'd be like, man, get the heck out of my face. You know what I mean? Yeah, but because crazy. you got that money, they you can crazy. say all kinds of goofy garbage and get away with it, man. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Man. It's like Kanye when he put out the, the Confederate flag clothing line or whatever like that. Like somebody actually sat in the room and was like, yo, this makes sense. Just to bring it on home, what happens is when I was talking about this movement for Black Lives Inc.org, um, I suggest that everybody go in and take a look at it. And the same thing with Black Lives Matter. Originally, people read the mission statements, read the mission statements from these organizations. Um, when Black Lives Matter got caught on the file about their original mission statement, within that mission statement, it was saying about um destroying families and all type of stuff. Y'all can, if you're able to pull it back up, pull it back up because they yanked it off like right after everybody caught on to it. So in this particular one, I want y'all to listen to a portion. This is a portion of the mission statement from the movement uh, for black lives. And if anybody is a part of this organization, you are more than welcome to come on the show and explain this. So that way we don't feel like we just throwing y'all under the bus because I just don't understand it. It says um, in their mission statement, this is a portion of the mission statement. We are intentional about amplifying the particular experiences of racial, economic and gender based state and interpersonal violence that black women, queer, transgender, nonconforming, intersex and disabled people face. Now. Sis, I take it as a disrespect. All right. I'm not even finished yet. (laughs) It's called a cis heteropatriarchy and ableism are central and instrumental to anti-blackness and racial capitalism and have been internalized within our communities and movements. Now, for people who don't know what cis heteropatriarchy is, according to this is definition, not me speaking, the definition, a system of power based on the supremacy and dominance of cisgender heterosexual men through the exploitation and oppression of women and the LBGTQIA plus community. This includes oppressive discriminations such as queerphobia, homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, and binaryism, etc. All right. But it's called. But it's called Black Lives Matter. You no, know, this is actually called Movement for Black Lives. Black Lives Matter is a part of this organization. Uh, it's a part of this uh, organization. Same, pretty much the same thing that they took out of their mission statement when people caught on to it is pretty much in this mission statement here. It said ableism by this, by definition is the discrimination in favor of able-bodied people. So um, they use as an example, we were fed up with the ableism of the women's movement. Or if you tell a person who um, is say mentally or physically disabled and they have a job, well, you're doing good. You're working and, you know, that's very inspiring. According to them, that's like offensive. So my my whole purpose of what I was pointing this out is not to um, just beat these people up. Because like I said, we don't have no representatives from that organization on here to defend themselves. But you got to read these mission statements. So what do you all think about that? At the end of the day, I don't like when anybody attaches, um, you know, Black Lives Matter or anything pertaining to our culture um, and start attaching other struggles to it or so-called struggles to it, or say it's the same as if you told, if it was Jewish life matter and you attach that to transgender and all that, 
Jewish people would lose their mind. They would lose their mind because of the struggle that they went through. These are people that have been killed and, you know, went through years and years of oppression and stuff like that. Genocide. How do you how do you attach that to um, their struggle? We're talking about African-American people. You know how many people um, didn't make it from Africa here and, you know, the boats just dropped them in the water and stuff like that. You know, how many people died during the whole slave trade and to equate that to some, you know, gender based struggle or something like that. I just don't like it because of that. Yeah. And I mean, it's like I said, it's um, just read the mission statements of some of these organizations before you kind of just start attaching yourselves to it. As we always say, uh, I think what happened was check your phone, check your phone, check your mic and everything. You can't hear me? We can hear you. It just sounds like you're in the distance. Something's wrong. Is that better? No. Then no. I don't want you to be quiet. Yeah, but we don't yeah. want you to be quiet. I think, I, I, but I think she. I think we could hear her somewhat. I mean, it sounded like it sounded like you're on the jail phone or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, just like, I just feel like at the time that the Black Lives Matter movement first started taking off and getting really big, it was a need for it. Now, do I agree with everything that they stand for, what they do? No, I don't. But I feel like it was needed. Um, And I feel like it brought a lot of us together outside of their movement. We had our own Black Lives Matter movement. And and it was needed at the time. Like I said, I don't know that much about them to say yay or nay. Um, There are a few things that I see that I totally don't agree with. But, um... Yeah, I think it was needed at the moment when it happened. It was needed. I like I like the slogan, the slogan oh, "Black Lives slogan. Matter." I like yeah. it. I like the slogan. I just don't like the uh, what you know what I read on the back end about it, you know, and what they're attaching to that title. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, like I said, like like you said, like in most cases, a lot of this stuff when it starts out, it starts out innocent. It starts out on the point, and then it deviates to something weird, you know what I mean, later on, you know. But, um, yeah, I like the slogan. I just don't like, uh, you know, what they're trying to represent on the back end of it, you know what I mean. Don't attach my don't, – don't attach the struggle of African-American people to nothing else. And just to, you know, close out on that particular topic is that's why it's important. Let's focus on the future. I think, like – well, not the future, but the past, I should say, excuse me, is that right now you're not really seeing black history – month pushed like it used to be before we start spinning off into something different you know you're never gonna you're never gonna move forward until you know what happened back there you know i mean history is repeating itself as we're talking right now things are happening not just with black people but just history in itself is repeating itself right now and like like me said earlier like we're the only people that you know try to forget our past you know what I mean? Like, I, I agree. I'm not a big fan of watching all these slave movies and all the other stuff like that either. Or how can I say it? Or watching, you know, how you walk around this United States and they have like um, these slave poles where they used to beat slaves. And, you know, and they keep these up as monuments and, you know, these trading blocks uh, where they used to sell slaves. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but history is history. And we got to learn a lot of it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I even at the end of the day, just something simple is learning more about Malcolm X. I, it's, it's people right now who don't even know. Who, I mean, I don't care. I, I really didn't care 
care about Malcolm X's religious belief, but I really, um, I, I liked him as a man. You know what I mean? And just the fact that, you know, you talk to some people right now, and a lot of people don't even know who El Haj Malik Shabazz is. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? And the fact Kids that don't know who he is. today is actually the anniversary of his uh, assassination. Uh, today. Uh, yeah. 50-some-odd years so ago. So it's kind of it's weird that, uh, I don't know, man. I just think anybody would be offended, you know, if they start attaching, you know, different struggles to of a race of people to, you know, some of these things that, for me personally, is I feel it's your personal something that you want to do. Like I'm a black man, I can't change being a black man. A Chinese man is a Chinese man. He can't change being Chinese, so he has to, you know, his whole history of whatever happened to him in China. You can't attach nothing to it. You know what I mean? So that's my personal opinion on it. But uh, but again, in regards to all of that stuff. Space cadetish, man. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna close it out on that on that particular uh, point. Now, one more thing before we wrap this up. Um, the the NBA All Star game yesterday. Look at your face. What happened with that? Okay, not the game in particular. It, it, that was what it was. But Macy Gray sung the uh, national anthem, right? And it's not that I'm not talking about because I see you laughing, Justin. It ain't about Macy Gray. I thought a thought occurred to me. I'm like, yo, man, in, in this day and age, why are black singers still singing the national anthem? Why is anybody still singing the national anthem? When it's, it's a lot of racist stuff in there, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what they did was they actually omitted it. It took about a decade before it became the national anthem. A lot of people didn't know that, right? So right. because of the fact that all the controversy that went along with it. So, um, for instance, like the, it, again, a little history lesson, if you didn't know. It was written on September 14th, 1814, by Francis Scott Key. And it was originally a poem called The Defense of Fort Henry. Fort McHenry, excuse me. Fort, Fort, M, Fort M. Henry or whatever it is. Fort M. Henry, not McHenry. So um, when you listen to the original lyrics, the lyrics that we all know or whatever, to the Star Spangled Banner, there was actually a set of words in here that was omitted. And I will say them for you. It says, no refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror or, f- or flight or the gloom of the grave. The and, let me see, I'm sorry. gloom of the grave and the star-spangled banner and triumph doth wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. They were talking about killing slaves, killing black folks, <laughs> you know what I mean? Killing hirelings. Yeah, and yet and still, we had probably... Y'all can look this up. They have, you know, most of the singers that actually nailed the national anthem, just to name a few, Whitney Houston, Jennifer Hudson, Mariah Carey, Marvin Gaye, you know, but we had countless of others that have sung the national anthem throughout, you know, all of these many years. A lot of black artists, a lot of artists in general. Now, we living in an age of cancel culture, right? And... Nobody pretty much brought this up to say, like, yo, why are they still singing the national anthem? Even though you omit it, you know, those. Yeah, get rid of it. You know what I mean? I, I get rid of it. I'm, get, I'm I'm down with getting rid of that. You can rip down these uh, Robert E. Lee uh, monuments and all that other stuff. But that's the thing. <laughs> get they, rid you, of it all. They're in a do, I sound, do I sound better yet? You do now towards yeah, the end better. of the show, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
my thing is, like, mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned, I have noticed, you know, um, do I agree with the Star Spangled Banner? No, but I have noticed that a lot of these show, um, these um, games now, they're starting to um, sing um, the Black National Anthem. Left every voice well. and sing. Yeah, I heard them singing a couple of times. Yeah, and I, and I was, and I thought it was just doing it. I thought they were just doing it for Black History Month, but it's not. Mm. At one point, they actually wanted to make they wanted to make that the national anthem. You know what I mean? At oh, one yeah. point, yeah, well, they talk, they, it, yeah, no, but happen. I mean, they they thought about it during the, <laughs> you know, like I call it the uh, age of equity. <laughs> that's, a, that's over the hey, listen. That's over the miss the Midwest dead body. They'll never do that. Oh, that's man. a hard fact. Yeah, they won't do that. <laughs> They'll never do that. They man. won't do that. That's over the Southern uh, that uh, Confederate flag. They'll man, listen. Before <laughs> that happens, a whole lot of things are gonna go left. Man, but uh, it'll, it'll never happen. But yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm with throwing away everything with that man. You can throw that whole. I agree. You know, you can for me, you could throw that pledge of allegiance and everything else. And I and I was in the military. <laughs> you know what I mean? So don't tell me nothing about it. I, I actually you know, it's always too the people that never joined the military or anything like that would be the first one to start talking to you about this uh the Star Spangled Banner and pledging allegiance and all that goofy garbage and standing up putting on your hand over your heart and all that other stuff like that. But never join the military. Yeah. I mean that's your, that's your message to the the kids. Never join yep. the military and don't do drugs. All right. So yep. <laughs> with that being said, we're gonna get ready to wrap. <laughs> Never yep. do yeah, don't don't do drugs, kids. Don't join the military. But read the mission they statements. Straight out, military won't straighten out your problems. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so check this out. The only one my podcast is available on all major platforms that you stream your pods on. Please don't forget to rate the show and subscribe. I don't know how it's going to turn out after this conversation. Also, if you'd like to get in contact with the Only One Mike podcast, you can reach us via Instagram and Twitter at the Only One Mike P1, Facebook and LinkedIn at the Only One Mike Podcast, and also by way of email at the Only One Mike Zero Zero at gmail.com. There you can leave your comments, which I'm pretty sure people will leave their comments on this particular topic. Um, and you know, as always, we say thank you for listening to us and speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even the dull and the ignorant, because they too have their story to tell. Next episode, Kelly Garrett will join us, writer of the Detective by Day series, and her new book, Like a Sister, I believe is coming out in March. In March, if I'm correct. And let Kelly tell you when she get here. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Any last words, guys? Peace. 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 All right. And as always, I never ran from the Ku Klux Klan and I shouldn't have to run from a black man. Peace. <laughs>